on the station. The telephone number is 615-737-1045. Appreciate Renner's Warehouse making it happen. So I haven't gotten to talk to you in a bit. And a lot is happening. Even though the NFL is not in season, combines this week, midday 180 is there. We will certainly talk combine things as they're relevant this week. Right now, the only thing relevant is the size of Joe Burrow's hands, which hand size always comes into play this time of year for some reason. But Patrick Mahomes basically said, look, my hands are small. I'm doing okay. Yeah, he's doing okay. He's the face of the league. He's probably going to win multiple Super Bowls. I say probably just because I think it's assured, except that it's not. Because we've seen sure things that, you know, it could be the only time he wins. I highly doubt it. But he's he's in position. And Joe Burrow was having fun with the size of his hands. It's it's combine season and it's Monday. So it's going to be a long week and we'll see what guys run and we'll see all this stuff. But I don't want to get caught in the deets and the machinations of everything that's going on. I want to talk about other things that are happening in the world of sports that seem pretty relevant and interesting across the board. Certainly there was the Kobe Memorial Service today and a lawsuit that went along with it filed by his widow against the, well, the helicopter company. The pilot passed away, and the pilot had gotten a lot of rave reviews, including from Kawhi Leonard, who had flown with him many, many times. But I guess you can't really look at this and say it's anything other than expected. You don't look at this as a cash grab or anything else. This is a woman that's probably trying to deal with an immense amount of grief, probably totally confused, maybe not making the most lucid decisions, just she needs answers. She wants answers and she wants somebody to pay. And sometimes there's not anybody to pay except financially. It's just a, it's a terrible situation. If you listen to her speak earlier today, that was pretty, that was unbelievable between her and Michael Jordan. There was just no way, unless you had a heart of stone that you were even going to be able to deal with that. But we'll talk a little bit about Kobe service later on in the program. Let's talk about the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL. I have used this analogy many times, especially recently. James Carville, when Clinton's kind of campaign high-up guy, making sure that every office during that campaign in 92 had a sign there giving them three simple messages that they needed, that they needed to make sure that they were targeting when they spoke to voters and when they were crafting any messaging. And the most important one on the screen or on this shot And on these posters and these flyers and these handouts was, quote, the economy, stupid. Because people care about their money. Elections are often determined by that. You try to smoke and mirrors people by talking about all these other things. But ultimately, if your money's in good shape, you're probably going to be happier more often than not. It's not just about money, but money matters. The owners get together, and it's 32 guys, and they're able to get together and they're able to craft a cohesive message. They're able to tell you exactly what's going on. They're able to tell you, here's what we want to do. So they meet with the NFLPA, just a few people on their executive committee, and they craft an agreement. Then the executive committee for the NFLPA says, you know what, 6 to 5, we're going to say you should not do this, meaning talking to their own union, which was intriguing to say the least. But let me tell you the difference between the owners and the players in this situation. And I'm going to do it hopefully without getting mired down in a bunch of factoids that are not going to be interesting to you. 
I'm going to try to do it in a different way. That's what we do here on the Big Six. 32 people can sit in a room and they can come up with a mission statement. You can sit in a room with 30 people. Look, that's a small class in any university. It's a dream in a big college where you have those lecture halls with 300 people in them where you never even meet your professor. You can sit in a room with 30 people and you can come up with a conclusion. One coherent, one cohesive, one simple, one cut and dry conclusion. But we're talking about over 2,000 people that paid union dues for the NFLPA in 2019 and 2020. Anybody that paid union dues is eligible to vote when it goes to the mass vote. Now, you have your player representatives as well. This vote has been delayed on the player side. Let me tell you one of the big reasons why. I guess I'm going political again here. If you listened to OutKick last week, you heard me kind of lay this out broadly. I also said it on the Jason Martin show yesterday on FSR, which airs here on The Zone early morning Sundays. The biggest conundrum and the biggest problem for the Occupy movement, I'm not talking about what they believed, and I'm not getting into that, except to say that they didn't even know what they believed. The problem with the messaging for Occupy was if I grabbed 35 random people that were down on Wall Street or were part of Occupy movements across the country, and I said, why are you all here? I would get at least 20 different answers. Because there was never a bullet-pointed, here is what we want. There was no Martin Luther 95 theses tacked on the wall for the Protestant Reformation. There were all these causes and agendas and money being funneled behind the scenes, and the people that organized it never really wanted the people that were protesting to know all of what was going on. A lot of this was in reaction to the mortgage crisis, and it was in reaction to Wall Street getting rich and CEOs at AIG and all these investment banks that were leaving their companies ravaged after harming the economy but were leaving with huge bonuses. There was certainly a lot of, quote, the economy stupid, unquote, that led to this. But there was never a cohesive message. When you're talking about 2,000 people, what do they want? Did you see Twitter before they even got to Friday? J.J. Watt, that's a hard no on the new proposed CBA. Leonard Fournette's just like, I don't like the 17-game portion. He tweets that out. Richard Sherman says, talk to your team rep which basically means a lot of people are talking and not knowing. And Richard Sherman is big anti-17 games. And there's your sticking point right there. What the owners have given up to this point, or what has been even proposed in terms of the marijuana testing, no one getting suspended for a positive on pot, that it has to be a lot more than that, which is something I'm in favor of. All of what they are saying, okay, we'll give you this. What are they actually giving up? Even the practice stuff where the first five days of practice, there's a lot less contact. There's a lot less physicality. What are they giving up there? They're giving up nothing. I used the term smoke and mirrors earlier in the segment. That's basically what they're doing. They're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? We're not suspend you anymore if you, if you test positive for tree. If you test positive for shrubbery, 
we're still going to let you play. What are they giving up? What is the concession for the owners? Probably a lot of whom agree in the first place. This is a sham in terms of that deal. And if you go back to the CBA that the players are under right now, and they've watched how the NBA players have exercised leverage and superstardom to get all sorts of things out of their owners, they probably don't feel like they have gotten a fair end here. This is the one opportunity they have to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Slow your roll. Revenue from 47% to 48% under this new idea. And if we play a 17th game, that goes to 48.5%. Money from the gambling side of things, some side of the revenue. These are What they've got to fight for right now is as much as they can get. I was thinking about the eBay example of if you see a pair of, I don't know, whatever it is, if you see something on eBay that you want and you see what the person wants for it and then you see accepts offers, are you just going to buy it now? I know I'm not. If somebody wants $200 for whatever the item is and I want it, even if I want it real badly, I'm still probably going to offer like 130 and then he's going to counter or she's going to counter for 190. And then I'm going to say 135, maybe 140 because we're a little bit higher up. And then the guy's going to say 180. And then I'm going to say 150. He's going to say 170. That's my lowest. At which point I'm going to say I can justify 160. And then I'll hold there. Maybe we don't make the deal. But you don't just buy it now when you have an opportunity to accept offers. What's the rush here? This CBA doesn't expire until the end of next season, until 2021. There's no reason for the players to just rush into this and make the deal without working to obtain the very maximum that they can because this is their chance. They feel like they got hosed last time. While they would like for some of these new things to get put into action right now, they're not just going to give in. So they've delayed the vote. Last week, it was this thing might be ratified by the end of the weekend. Notice this, too, and this was stunning to me. It was not unanimous from the owners, which means that some owners felt like they were giving up too much in the CBA that the players' representation basically said, no, we need to vote no on this, or we need to delay this. We need to think about this a little bit more. And then you look at what they were actually giving up, and it wasn't all that much. So there are some owners that, I guess don't want to do anything differently. But, of course, the majority went the way that it needed to go to make progress. But there is no reason to concede defeat without going for everything you can. Yes, the owners can lock them out. Ultimately, the owners can say, what you're asking for is too much. We will lock you out. That could happen. I don't think that it will. The owners are super rich individuals. They can probably last a lot longer than the players can. It could get ugly, but it's probably not going to. Will there be a 17th game? It still appears like there will, but the players are fighting tooth and nail against it. Ultimately, it will come down to how much you're going to pay me to do it. Postseason structure in terms of pay, it needs to be more money, not just 
timing differently in terms of I'm getting this in the first round, I'm getting this in the second round, I'm getting this in the championship game. It all centers around the money. And a lot of the concessions that you've seen in what the owners said, or at least a majority of them said, yeah, okay, we'll give this to the players. A lot of that didn't have to do with revenue, didn't have to do with money. Now, you're probably not getting a 50-50 split here, but you need to try as much as you can to get every cent that the owners are, even if they're reticent, they're still willing to part with because you're not in a hurry here. That's why it never made sense to me that, oh, this thing could be done before Indianapolis. And they're going to talk in Indianapolis at the combine. They're going to discuss all these things. And if they come out of the combine and they still don't have an agreement, word on the street says they probably don't get this done until after this coming season. And then you start worrying a little bit because the CBA will expire in 2021. You just feel like cooler heads are going to prevail here. But it's the economy, stupid. It's not about pot testing and practice being easier and things of that nature. This is about how does this affect my wallet in a positive sense, especially if you want me to play an extra game. Players think that's asking too much, that it's risking too much. It's too much on their bodies. And I know there are a lot of people within the sound of my voice that are like, it's one game. What's the big deal? It's a big deal to them. And even if a lot of them are ready to do it, they shouldn't be saying that too vociferously right now. Instead, they should be saying, it's going to take a lot to get us to play that extra game. So that at the very least, if you don't get a lot, you get more than a little. A little bit more revenue that they've put on the table right now is not bad. But when you're not in a hurry, you got to play that eBay game. If it comes down to it, you might be in a situation where you have to take a certain deal and it might still not be everything that you want. But you've got time to try to carve a little bit bigger a piece out of that pie. The piece that the players are getting right now, you can probably eat that in a couple bites. You want something that's going to last longer than 30 seconds on your plate. And the players finally have an opportunity where they can at least attempt to get that. So this isn't necessarily something where you should be upset at the players or upset at the owners right now. But I don't think this is just going to get solved so easily. Because the owners don't want to give up money despite how much they have. And the players should not just give in if they don't feel like they're being taken care of properly. 615-737-1045 is the telephone number at jmartzone. Next. Needle movers. We saw one in action on Saturday night. Time to pay attention to heavyweight boxing again. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Welcome back to the big six here on 104.5 The Zone. Little Kings of Leon. Nashville flavor. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse. They're dedicated to helping homeowners benefit from the rental boom by renting their homes the easy way. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. If there's a phrase that I've used more than any other this year on this program, on any program really, that I've been a part of, it's probably been two words. Needle mover. 
whether it's Joe Burrow, whether it's Patrick Mahomes, whether it's the late, great Kobe Bryant, there are needle movers. Zion Williamson. And we saw another one on Saturday night. And it was Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury, who TKO'd Deontay Wilder in the seventh round, outclassed him from the outset. He was a skilled boxer going in. We already knew it. At his size, especially, and his height, especially. With his reach advantage, it makes it very hard to hit him, and he's defensively good. His footwork's impeccable. Deontay Wilder has amazing punch power, but you saw his limitations when he couldn't actually strike with that punch power. Tyson Fury has a personality. He's got a crazy backstory. Where he was over 300 pounds and suicidal. He's done steroids. He's done other drugs. He said some very uncomfortable things. He is very imperfect, is the Gypsy King. And after he beats Deontay Wilder, he breaks into the full, not just a five second, like quick rendition, but the full Don McLean American pie during the post fight. And he's the best heavyweight boxer in the world. Unofficially. The only thing in his way right now is Anthony Joshua, who holds the other three titles. And we may get the first unification fight with a chance to unify these titles for the first time since Lennox Lewis did it 20 years ago. Heavyweight fighting hadn't mattered in a long time. Boxing is not necessarily a sport that's in great shape. But Tyson Fury is the first glimpse of hope that you've seen because he's a needle mover. And when I say needle mover, I don't mean the people listening to me right now. You guys know who Tyson Fury is. But you're sort of a built-in audience. You're sports enthusiasts. Of all of what's on the dial right now, you've chosen to listen to 104.5 The Zone because you love sports. You eat sports, you drink sports, you live sports. You talk about sports. You care. When I mean needle mover, I mean people that you're going to hear about on Access Hollywood or The View or national news items outside of championships where you actually hear about these people and in circles that aren't hardcore sports circles, their names come up. I was at a dinner this weekend, not a sports dinner. And people found out what I did, and some people asked me, and the fight actually came up on multiple occasions because they had heard about it. Because Tyson Fury, in particular, is a needle mover. Now, Deontay Wilder came in 42-0-1 and looking like the guy, the bronze bomber. But you had 42-0-1 against 29-0-1, the second fight between the two. And the thing that I tweeted out after the fight was, The ultimate goal of the sequel is to sell the trilogy. Oftentimes, the weakest film is the second in line. Not always. The Dark Knight would be an example. But a lot of sequels are there because there was enough interest in the first thing to give you the second thing. But if you can create it to be continued or to be concluded and finish it up in a third film, then you've cashed in big. 
I don't think if Deontay Wilder had won that fight, there would have been quite as much interest as there is after Tyson Fury did. The odds going in were 10 to 11 and 11 to 10. Which means it was almost a pick'em. Tyson Fury was clearly the better fighter. In both fights, he was the better boxer. He's the better pugilist. There's no question about that. That's not a subjective opinion by me. That's objective based on the facts. Deontay Wilder can punch really hard, especially with his right. But he's not a skilled fighter. We do live, however, in a culture of extremes. Where the loud voices are the dumb voices on social media. And I mean in politics and entertainment and anything else. If you love one thing, you got to hate the other. There's no nuance. There's no middle ground, which is where most of us reside. So as soon as Deontay Wilder loses, everybody says he's trash. That's ridiculous. He was 42-0-1. 42-0-1. San Francisco, the 49ers are not garbage all of a sudden because they lost to the best. I mentioned that. And I said that Titans fans shouldn't feel too badly about it either because there's no shame in losing to the best. Charles Barkley thought he was the best player in the world. At the height of his powers, the height of his skill set, height of his athleticism in the NBA, played against a young Michael Jordan and got beat on a night where he played his best, meaning Barkley. Barkley went home and he said, for the first time, I had to admit that guy's better than me. On Saturday night, Tyson Fury was better than Deontay Wilder. When Patrick Mahomes ran that touchdown in towards the end of the first half against the Tennessee Titans, you realized, okay, Patrick Mahomes is just better than what we have. The difference in the Super Bowl was that Patrick Mahomes played for the Kansas City Chiefs and didn't play for the San Francisco 49ers. Because Patrick Mahomes was better. Usually in your life, and this is not meant to be discouraging in any way, Usually in your life, somebody is better at what you do than you are. Even if you're pretty high up in your company, there's probably somebody higher up. Or there's somebody who's funding it, who has more power than you do. If you think I'm a good radio host, I'm certainly not going to say that. But if you think I'm a good radio host, they're better. Even though I thought Justify was a great show, Deadwood was a better show. That's not a discouraging thing. It's just a fact of reality. Tyson Fury is the best heavyweight fighter going. And Deontay Wilder ran into someone who was better than him and beat him. And lucky for boxing, because you can't always script it this way. The guy who seems to be the best at what he's doing when this sport needs it so desperately also happens to have an outsized, non-Mike Trout-like personality and enjoys the spotlight. During his entrance, he comes out on a throne. He sings American Pie, and oh yes, in one of the more repulsive displays, He pays off his comment that he wants to taste Deontay Wilder's blood. He said that before the fight. By tasting Deontay Wilder's blood and licking his neck. We got coronavirus fears all over the place. And this dude, unsanitarily, giving the kids, think about the kids. 
Think about everybody watching this fight. Nobody needs to see this. Tyson Fury licking the blood off of Deontay Wilder's neck, where it certainly looked like that. And it was all part of a show because that's what Tyson Fury is. He's a showman. And ultimately, all sports are better off when you have showmen. Even if you don't think Richard Sherman's the best in the game, the stuff that he was doing, the deal with Crabtree and all that, wasn't bad for the NFL. It just was not. You need dudes like that. You need people that are willing to say something. One of the reasons why you don't hear a whole lot of coaches on the big six is because coach interviews are garbage. 95% of them are terrible. Tomorrow you will hear one of the 5% that is not when you listen to 3HL and you hear Mike Leach. Very few coaches have anything to say, and the ones that do, a very small section of them are actually willing to say it. Athletes are the same way. Athletes might have opinions, but they're afraid to spout them. Or they just don't have a lot to say. You get an athlete interview, and you've got 10 minutes with that athlete. You may need 30 questions. Where if you have the right guest, you can ask three or four questions in the same time, get very thoughtful, lengthy answers, and good stuff. And that doesn't mean all athlete interviews are bad. It's just that a large cross-section of them are. Tyson Fury is the guy that you would script to be the best heavyweight in the world because he checks off all the boxes, including controversy. Controversy leads to full wallets, bigger bank accounts. It's what makes the sport relevant. It moves the needle outside of the circle that's listening to 104.5 The Zone right now. Those people that don't even listen to the radio do nothing to, but listen to classic albums and stuff like that or listen to silence. Those people may hear about Tyson Fury. Assuredly, if he's able to keep winning, if they have a third fight, which it seems like they're going to, Wilder says he's going to exercise his rematch clause after he gets back from a vacation. He also said something else, which is mind-boggling, about why he lost because his pride just won't allow him to admit what we all saw, which is he just got outclassed. He's just not as good as that guy. Doesn't mean he can't win because his punch power is such that if he actually was able to connect with that right hand, he could beat Tyson Fury. But Tyson Fury doesn't get hit a whole lot. But Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury in a third fight could draw $250 million. That's what they're saying, 200 to $250 million. Remember their first fight had about 300,000 buys. And Bob Arum said, going into this fight over the weekend, I haven't seen the numbers. It may take a little bit of time before we actually do see them. That this thing would challenge the 4.6 mil record. I don't think it probably did. But even if it did half that, I mean, think about what that meant from one fight to the next. And when's the last time a heavyweight fight actually had that much interest? I mean, Twitter was filled with mentions. My entire first 90 minutes of my Fox Sports Radio show yesterday, which happened about you know two hours after that fight ended, was about that fight, taking calls, reading you know tweets, and just describing it from every angle because it was such a big event. Because Tyson Fury is a needle mover. It's not about Deontay Wilder. As you know, powerful as his punches are, we'd have talked about that for about five seconds. But Tyson Fury is the superstar that you need if you were crafting this. If you were scripting this, Tyson Fury is who you would want on that front line. He's the one that you would want to market because he's going to promote the heck out of your sport. 
Positive and negative, yes, but an outsized personality. So boxing has gotten lucky here. This is the first time heavyweight boxing has been relevant in a minute. But Tyson Fury, Jontae Wilder 3, or Fury Joshua, where you could see the first unified champion, undisputed heavyweight champion since Lennox Lewis two decades ago, is going to actually make boxing matter. Even if it's just one or two guys. Maybe it raises all ships. It was definitely fun to watch because it became a happening. And that lick, whatever it was, didn't hurt matters at all. 615-737-1045. We'll be right back. Big 6, 1045, The Zone. So. Welcome back to The Big 6 here on 1045, The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Told you Deontay Wilder had quite an excuse. I mean, maybe it's true, but it's Black History Month. It's February. So for his ring walk, he wanted to do something special. And he's got like this big, big costume that he's wearing. And it was 40 pounds. And Deontay Wilder is claiming that that costume was too heavy. And so he didn't have his legs underneath him by the time the fight started, and he was just too tired from that ring walk in that 40-pound costume. <sighs> if that's true, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Because did we, I mean, who cares if it's 40 pounds? You could probably have a pretty cool-looking costume that looks pretty close to that that's not 40 pounds. It's not like I cared. It's not like I'm going to remember what you came to the ring in. If you showed up without your legs because you carried a 40-pound weight as a costume down to the ring, then I wouldn't be upset with my trainer. His assistant trainer is the one who throws in the towel in the seventh round. He says he's very disappointed he threw in the towel and all this kind of stuff. Breland saved his life. This dude had no legs, which he already told you about. Looked like he didn't know where he was. He'd already been knocked down a couple of times. He wasn't able to defend himself. And Brewin, he may have saved his life. I'm not kidding you. Certainly saved his career. But Deontay Wilder, who has talked an awful lot, was upset at everybody except himself. Unless it's just the fact that he wore a costume. Tyson Fury's just better than he is. I told you that in the last segment. It's not a it's not an opinion of mine. There's nobody that watched that fight of the first fight and thinks that Deontay Wilder is the level of boxer Tyson Fury is. Now, power punching and that stuff, that's a different argument. But in terms of skill, I'm talking about. So that's one preposterous situation. The other one is indeed the size of Joe Burrow's hands. Joe Burrow tweets out, considering retirement after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands, please keep me in your thoughts. And Pat Mahomes... Replies, my small hands are doing all right so far. I believe in you. And three laughing emojis. This happens all the time. There have been 35 quarterbacks picked in the first round in the past, looks like from what I'm saying, somewhere between a decade and 12 years. No first-round quarterback in the last 12 years has had a smaller hand size than Joe Burrow. The other two that have had the same 
are Jared Goff and Ryan Tannehill. A nine-inch hand size. Three guys in the last decade with a hand size of nine with 300-plus passes. And see, there's only two that are still in the league. The other guy's Chad Henney, who I don't know if he's still in the league or not. So it's Tannehill, Goff, and Chad Henney. So now there's some concern that Joe Burrow is now on the list with those guys. Now Tannehill had a pretty good year, obviously. Goff did not. But those are not the top of the quarterback heap. So now all of a sudden, Joe Burrow can't throw because he's got small hands. It's just it's mind-boggling to me that this happens every year. That now there's concern because he's in ominous company because his hands are small. All I'm going to say is this. You never know what somebody's going to be in the pros because we've seen busts that look like sure things. Sometimes from off the field stuff too, but sometimes it just doesn't end up working out. Maybe it's a bad system. Maybe something else goes wrong. We don't know about it. Who knows? But I watched Joe Burrow throw the football in college, especially this past season. I don't care how big his hands are. I'm drafting him number one. I would. I need to see who the big handed quarterbacks are that aren't very good. Yeah, it's ominous company to be in because he has small hands. Joe Burrow just completed the best quarterback season, I think the best period season in the history of college football. The only other person you might put there is Barry Sanders, and I can't even go there because of the level of competition that Oklahoma State played and the fact that Burrow also won the national championship and you look at the teams that he had to go through to do it and how much of the top 10 they had to go through to do it and how his play... It's not like it was all scheme. I mean, this dude was making frozen rope throws right before he steps out of bounds 30 yards downfield against the best competition in the land late in the season and certainly in the college football semis and the national title game. But he's got nine-inch hands, so you better watch him because that puts him on a list with Jared Goff, Ryan Tannehill, and Chad Haney. Um, You can put him on that list. I'm going to put him in the... You better believe I'm going to draft him list. That's my J-Mart list. My Jason Martin list is guys I would definitely draft without a second thought. Atop that list, Joe Burrow and his tiny hands. Because I've seen him throw a football before, and the small hands haven't seemed to hinder him thus far. Combine, man. It's going to be a long week. Be right back. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Bit of Moon Taxi, one of our favorite bands here on the Big Six brand. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Brought to you by Renner's Warehouse. That tune's called Morocco, by the way. Dedicated to helping homeowners become rent estate investors, not Moon Taxi, but Renner's Warehouse, by renting their homes instead of selling. Renter's Warehouse, the rent estate company. Big Six blog update. Haven't written in a couple of weeks. If you wondered where my outsider review was last week, the reason why I didn't write about it is HBO stopped sending them to critics. After episode six, they sent the first six together and then they said no more, which is usually a sign of confidence. They don't want things to spoil and they already they know that everybody's paying attention and the numbers have grown. And so I didn't write one last week because I was in Florida on vacation with my wife. Had a great time. And so I wrote on the last two episodes that was published about an hour before this show began tonight. Better Call Saul came back last night. It's a two-night premiere, meaning there's also the second episode tonight. I have those and a couple of more. Uh, I've written 
about half that article so far, but you'll be looking for that around the time the credits roll tonight. Uh, when that show ends, you'll get my thoughts in detail on the first two episodes, and I'll be writing on that weekly. And then coming up in March, March 15th, Westworld starts. I'll be writing on that weekly as well. Just giving you an update there. That's 1045zone.com slash big six blog. And, of course, you're following me at jmartzone. You'll get all those updates, and you'll see them be able to, to uh, link to them. And I appreciate the support. Interestingly enough, I was at an airport um, here in Nashville. I was in the airport on the way to Florida, just finishing up dinner. And somebody came up, asked me, I guess recognized me, and asked me some questions about the outsider, actually. Asked me if I thought Holly Gibney was going to survive. And so I addressed that, actually, in the article that I published about an hour ago. I won't do it here just for those who haven't watched and want to catch up and don't need the spoilers. I won't go into it yet. But you can find that at 1045zone.com slash big6blog. And same thing with uh, Better Call Saul a little bit later tonight. So the Kobe celebration tribute memorial happened out in Los Angeles at Staples today. And a lot of speakers, including some amazing stuff from Kobe's wife. And, I mean, you saw there were a lot of people that were talking today. Vanessa Bryant has failed a wrongful death, has filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the helicopter company and some others for what happened. But when I was talking about needle movers earlier as it related to Tyson Fury, the speaker that really got me today was Michael Jordan. Yeah, there's the crying Jordan meme that's been a joke for years. And Jordan made a joke about it as he was crying today saying that he hates that he's crying because he knows it's going to become a meme, but that that's what Kobe Bryant means to him. And I was thinking about, you remember when I played that audio from Stephen Covey about you attending your own funeral that's going to happen in a few years and what you would want to hear from all the different sections of people that might be there, what you want them to say about you. And you think about Kobe Bryant. And certainly what his family would say about him not perfect, but a good father and someone that was trying to improve some of the the mistakes maybe he made early on as a teammate, as a leader, as a champion, as a husband, as a father, everything, as a friend, as a brother, all of these things. But you have to imagine that somebody like Kobe Bryant that cared so much about the sport of basketball would have wanted to hear what he heard from his idol today. When I was watching Jordan weeping on stage, speaking of how much it meant to him to get to know Kobe Bryant and his drive and his his desire and all the annoyances that came early in his career when he was just asking relentless questions of Jordan and how much he began to value those things as he got to know Kobe. I mean, Jordan was already not just a made man, but the greatest of all time before Kobe ever laced up a pair of shoes, a pair of sneakers in the NBA. Imagine your contemporary caring that much. And imagine the guy that you idolized being somebody that's speaking at your memorial. And this is a guy in Jordan that just doesn't show much emotion. Republicans buy sneakers too. He didn't ever want to take sides on things. From a practical standpoint and because it just, there was no point. 
he was a perfect marketing mechanism because he was never really going to offend anybody. But he was a relentless competitor, and he was able to hold grudges even in his Hall of Fame speech. Didn't take slights well. He was so driven that at times it was almost abrasive. And Kobe could be accused of the same thing. But Jordan standing there and saying what he said about getting to know Kobe and appreciating so much and saying that I feel like I lost a brother. Imagine the person you idolize most that was so responsible for who you would become professionally turns you into a legend basically because you wanted to be him. You wanted to be the next him. You wanted to be the best basketball player in the world. So you were watching. And, I mean, his movements and everything that Kobe did on the floor were so similar. Think about that. And then think about that guy standing up there and sobbing because you have passed away. Again, I don't know what you would necessarily want to hear yourself at your funeral. But a lot of times you hear, you don't want to meet your heroes because they might let you down. Kobe Bryant got to meet his hero. Got to play against his hero. Got to learn from his hero. Got to be a brother to his hero. And then after he passed away, his hero wept at his memorial service in front of millions of people on television. A guy that never shows emotion. Unbelievable. And it shows just how great and respected Kobe Bryant was. Ball calls is next. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night from the Music City. 104.5.